Every American has two hometowns, his own and Washington. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. Welcome to Star Wars at the Movies. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. At the Movies. An international oral history of cinematic experiences from a galaxy far, far away. I've seen Star Wars about a dozen times. I've seen Star Wars 17 times. Star Wars? Uh, 22 times. 40 times, and it was great each time. 47 times. About 57 times. You can never get too much of Star Wars. I. I've seen the first Star Wars 153 times. All together, we have seen Star Wars 324 times. We've been here for six days and it's great! Hello there. Welcome to episode 17 of Star Wars at the Movies. I'm Stephen Danley and the next stop on the podcast map is the U.S. capital of Washington, D.C. You'll be hearing from a longtime local of DC and its neighboring environs, Eric Janicki, who's been a part of the area's Star Wars movie-going scene from the beginning. And speaking of the beginning, the original Star Wars first landed in the district on May 25, 1977 for a 55-week run at the one and only Uptown Theater, a cinema staple of the Cleveland Park neighborhood since it was first opened by Warner Brothers in 1936. The Uptown was, until recently, the last standing movie palace in DC. Its Art Deco exterior with fluted limestone panels and iconic red sign with the theater's namesake stood the test of time, and upon its closure last year, a petition was formed to establish the Uptown as a historic landmark. And deservedly so. Its large, curved screen was apparently the largest commercial movie theater screen in the DC metro area, aside from that at the Smithsonian, and many a major motion picture thrived there over the decades. Prestigious big-screen titles such as South Pacific and West Side Story occupied the theater for months on end in 1958 and 1961, respectively. 2001, A Space Odyssey had its world premiere there in 1968, as did Jurassic Park in 1993. But the mayhem that Star Wars brought to the uptown and its neighbors was a breed unto itself. In a June 1977 Washington Post article aptly titled The Movie That Ate Cleveland Park, recently hired staff writer Karen DeWitt described the scene in screenplay form as such. Time, a half hour before the 7.30 show. Action. Moviegoers in cars frantically searching for parking spaces. A group of teenagers near the end of the block and a half line casually having a picnic on a resident's front lawn as they wait for the movie to open. The good-humored truck plying its way up and down the queue, tinkling out the allure of frozen goodies. Close-up. Discarded beer cans, burnt-out marijuana joints, and McDonald's hamburger wrappers. It's not a new motion picture under production yet, but if there is ever a sequel to that intergalactic spectacular Star Wars, some of the residents of Cleveland Park would like to call it, quote, earthly fallout. I just love that. <laughs> One unhappy resident named Mary Shuck characterized the movie's presence as, quote, an invasion. There are people, people crawling up the streets constantly. We're constantly being awakened when people line up for the midnight show. My alley was blocked up once and I just wanted to scream and beat up the cars. <sighs> yeah, well... Where there was anger, there was also opportunity. Adjacent pubs saw a boost in business, and one young hot dog stand entrepreneur catering to the crowds claimed to have taken in over $200 a day on hot dogs and half smokes on one Saturday alone. Not bad. 
As it turns out, though, community resentment towards Star Wars moviegoers at the Uptown would become a tradition that lived on as my guest Eric, a seasoned mitigator of the scenario, will attest to after having lived it with the special editions in Episode 1. But staying back in 1977 and 78 for the moment, a much more jovial scene could be found at another theater from Eric's story, that being the Academy 6 in the nearby Maryland suburb of Greenbelt. Opened in the 70s as a modern entertainment hub in the Beltway Plaza Mall, the Academy 6 outlasted the Uptown with a 62-week engagement of Star Wars that began on June 29, 1977. The theater went all out with both a six-month birthday party and a one-year anniversary celebration for the movie, and with the flyers for the events advertised sounds simply fantastic. Lobby displays, posters, comic books, and movie memorabilia were presented by such local institutions as the Cosmos Club of High Point, Computer Hut, and the Maryland Funny Bookshop. One could witness Princess Leia cutting birthday and anniversary cakes, or the breaking of a Death Star pinata to commemorate the film's one-year mark. Grand prize winners of costume contests took home six-month movie passes, and anyone who showed up in costume received a free ticket to a future show. And speaking of costumes, a group of dedicated cosplayers known as the Star Wars Elite was standing by for photo hops. For a dollar a pop, you could get a Polaroid with Luke, Leia, Han, Darth, Obi-Wan, and more, courtesy of the mall's Ritz Camera Center. The Elite had apparently been seeing the movie almost daily in full costume, and the attention and extra business they were drawing in was noticed and encouraged by the theater to the point where the group started receiving free tickets for themselves, along with being wrangled in for these milestone events. All in all, it just seems like a great time was had, and that's essentially the definition of what this podcast is aiming to capture. With that, it's time to hit the feature presentation with Eric Janicki. And now for our feature presentation. Yeah, so um, I was born in 1971, so I'm 49 now, I'll be 50 in uh, October, um, and I grew up in New Carrollton, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C., and yeah, as the crow flies, it's about five miles from D.C., um, so it's pretty close, so I always kind of considered myself a D.C. guy, even though Baltimore was only like 30 minutes away as well, um, but yeah, growing up, I played a lot of sports. I was very interested in collecting sports cards. And uh, of course, you know, I was very interested in Star Wars. Star Wars, we'll talk more about that, you know, in a little bit. Um, but my mom collected uh, figurines and plates and um, just a whole bunch of stuff. So I always kind of had that collecting gene, you know, instilled in me from a very early age. And so, yeah, that, that was my childhood was just, you know, growing up 
with sports and growing up with Star Wars and pop culture. Um, you know, I, I, I liked movies. I you know, always loved movies. Always, as even as a little kid, watched TV shows like MASH, and I stayed up late watching Johnny Carson with my mom. Um, so that was always just a, a real fun time. So were there any particular movies or local movie theaters early on that you remember going to frequently? Yeah, yeah. So um, there was a theater that I could walk to at the New Carrollton Mall. And um, it was in Prince George's County, Maryland, again, you know, just a few miles from Washington, D.C. And so I, you know, as a little kid, I would walk to the mall all the time, either with my buddies or my sister, Lisa, who's two years older than me. And also have a sister, Karen, who's 10 years older. But, yeah, we'd walk to that theater all the time to go see movies. Um, And again, I was born in 71. So by the time Star Wars came out, I was only six. So obviously I wasn't walking to the theater at six years old to see Star Wars. But once I was a little bit older um, in the early 80s and mid 80s, you know, I would walk to, to, you know, to New Carrollton Mall to the um, New Carrollton Six theaters. I think they had six theaters there. And we would see pretty much every movie there when we were young. Um, And then when we were able to drive, we would go to Beltway Plaza in Greenbelt, Maryland, which is the Academy Six theaters. And uh, we that was a, probably a little bit better theater at uh, the Academy Six at Beltway Plaza, and so once I got in my high school age years, we we would tend to go there because it was more of a scene, you know, the you know the shopping mall, bigger mall, and you know kids hanging out. So that was, but yeah, I mean the, the New Carrollton Theater. I have a lot of great memories there. Um, you know, most of the indie films I saw there. Um, you know. It was one of those theaters that um, the box office was inside the mall, of course. So it w- there wasn't no like really cool historic looking theater. It was just a shopping mall with a theater inside. But they had this really long hallway outside the theater. So the lines that would, you know, form for the movies, you know, it just goes all the way down the shopping mall. So it was just kind of cool. Um, you know, you, you, you'd walk in and you see that and you'd be like, oh, wow, this is exciting. You know, look at all my buddies and friends in line at the mall. Um, so I, I remember seeing like Rathacon premiere there and, uh, you know, the indie movies, pretty much all of them, I think I saw there. Um, and just the lines being crazy. Um, yeah. So, and I, I think I saw Return of the Jedi there, but it was, it was split between the New Carrollton Mall and the Beltway Plaza Mall in Greenbelt. Okay. And do you remember how you first became aware of Star Wars as a movie or, you know, just a thing? Yeah. So again, I was really five and a half years old, almost six, um, when Star Wars first came out. And my sister, Karen, who's 10 years older than me, went and saw it with her high school friends. And she came home and I remember a conversation, something like this saying, little brother, I got a movie you got to see, you know, and it was the next day or a couple of days later, she took me to see it at um, the Beltway Plaza Theater, because at that time, I don't think the New Carrollton Mall Theater had Star Wars playing early on in its run. Um, So my sister, Karen, took me to see it, and she was a very um, influential person in my life. So when I was three, my father passed away, um, from a heart attack. And so my mom was a single mom and she was fantastic. I mean, she did all she ever could, but she still had to work full time. So a lot of the child, you know, raising business was left to my older sister, Karen. And she always, you know, would, I would always tag along with her, with her high school friends to go places more or less because she was my babysitter. Um, but also because, you know, I, 
I was so young and I, you know, so when it was just, it's just kind of cool because she's kind of the one who introduced me to Star Wars just because she went and saw it with her friends and just thought this would be a great movie for a little, you know, almost six-year-old kid to see. So, um, so yeah, that's how I first became aware of Star Wars. Um, and then, you know, that's, you know, it, it's kind of funny because literally like I came home and then like the next day, the, the, whatever day it was again, I'm on the six. I can't remember the, the minutia of the details, but like the following weekend, my aunt and uncle were visiting my mom and I basically forced my uncle cliff to say, Hey, you got to take me to go see this movie again. <laughs> So God love him. Um, you know, he's as good as an uncle as you can get, but he was as interested in Star Wars as probably, you know, th- th- he was probably the least person interested in going to see in a Star Wars film, but he, he took me to see it again. Um, and so those are kind of like my earliest memories of seeing Star Wars. In terms of when you first saw it and those initial viewings, it, there are certain scenes that seem to stand out to everyone as, as far as having a lasting impact. But what were the moments that immediately stood out to you and, and stuck in your mind as you left the theater? So a lot of people say, you know, that first scene where the, you know, Star Destroyers coming over top just blew them away. I can't remember if I remember that or not, you know, but one of the scenes that I do remember seeing and kind of remember being freaked out about was um the when luke and leia were about to swing across the death star chasm you know and and they gave each other a little kiss and then swung across i just remember as a little kid being like oh my gosh i just saw two people kiss on the movie screen you know So that was that was a scene that I always kind of remember seeing as a little kid and being like you know surprised, but um, definitely the cantina scene um, had a big. I, I I definitely remember that as being something that was really really cool, and um, one of my favorite scenes and it was the uh, you know Luke the sunset scene on Tatooine. Um, I just remember that being a scene that I always remember. Now, I don't know if I remember it being the scene the very first time I saw it that I it hit me, but I my earliest rem- memories of seeing Star Wars, that scene always kind of got me. And I, I don't know why, um, you know, maybe it's, you know, John Williams score crescendoing in the background and Luke just kind of staring off wondering what his life's going to be like. Um, I don't know, maybe subconsciously as a little kid without a father, I always kind of thought that too, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, so th- that scene just always kind of was a big thing for me. And then, you know, as you move on and you find out, wait, Luke, you know, does have a dad. And then, you know, in the subsequent movies, he tries to you know reconcile that relationship and stuff. So, you know, I, th- I think subconsciously, maybe I kind of that 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 storyline or that story arc always kind of impacted me. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I know you're not alone in that feeling. So speaking of getting to the later part of the story, I'd like to hear your memories leading up to The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and where and when you saw those and what your impressions were. Yeah, so I, I saw Empire Strikes Back at the New Carrollton Mall. And one of the things that one of the things in Star Wars in general that I really like is that you don't have to be like a, a sci-fi guru or, you know, sci-fi you know, aficionado or, or something to, to, to love Star Wars. Like, it's not always just about spaceships and space and, 
and, uh, you know, that kind of futuristic stuff, you know. Um, and one of the things I really loved, I remember thinking about Empire is basically the first opening sequence is all done in the snow. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. It's like, you know, seems like the farthest thing away from space, you know, is in the snow. So those, and because of that, I, I just always kind of had a love for Luke Hoth and the Tauntauns and the snow speeders and stuff like that. But those scenes, I, I, I definitely remember being like, wow, this is really cool, you know? And then again, as I just mentioned, the whole Luke and Vader as his father story arc, um, I always thought that was interesting as well. And then, so I saw the return of the Jedi at the new Carrollton mall as well. And I was a little older now. Um, so some of my memories are a little more, um, you know, distinct, but I do remember just the lines, uh, for return of the Jedi just being bonkers. Um, and it's funny how certain memories are ingrained in your brain. And I just, I remember sitting, uh, and there was this group of women, about three, four rows ahead of me. And in the opening sequence, when they're at Jabba's palace, you know, there's that part where there's a skiff guard and he lowers down his, his, or he lifts up his helmet a little and you realize it's Billy D. Williams, you know, Lando under the mask there. And these women just shrieked like they were just, you know, teenage girls at a Beatles concert. They were just so in love with <laughs> Billy D. Williams, I guess. And I just, for some reason, that's just one of those things that's been ingrained in my head all these years. But it also just made me realize, like, you know, Star Wars is cool. You know, it's not, I'm not the only one who is, you know, freaking out over the littlest things. And here's these older women, like, freaking out over Billy D. Williams in the theater. And, and I lived in an area where people talked all the time during movies. So it was kind of annoying, but at the same time, you know, you know, they would react to it and, you know, clapping's fine, but they would always yell at the screen and this and that. But when these women shrieked at Billy D, I just got the biggest kick out of that and thought that was the coolest thing. And then like that following couple days, I went to Pittsburgh to um, visit my cousins and we, they wanted to go see, you know, Jedi as well. And they lived you know, I don't know what, what kind of mall it was or whatever, but it was a, a movie theater at a shopping mall. And I just remember we went to go and the line was out the door outside wrapped around the shopping mall. And again, I just thought like, wow, you know, this is like the coolest thing. So, you know, star Wars is just so popular. And, you know, I guess at, at that age, what, how old was I about 12 years old? Um, you know, it just, I just, those are the type of things I remember is just what an impact it had on pop culture and, and it had on everyone, you know, not just, again, not just science fiction fans. It just was, everyone was going to see this movie. And I just always kind of thought that was cool. Yeah. And after Jedi had come out, did you get the sense that that may be the last Star Wars movie you would get to see on the big screen? Yeah, I, I guess I did. I mean, I, I trying to put myself in the, you know, those shoes back in that day, um, you, you had a sense that that was the the end of the story. Um, you know, my 12-year-old brain at that time maybe wasn't trying to think like, wow, they got a cash cow in their hands. Of course, they're going to keep going. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I remember trying to consume it as much as I could. And, I mean, my mom basically bought me anything I wanted too, you know. So, again, because I had the collecting gene, you know, she – I mean, even from the first film, you know, she would 
basically buy me anything I asked for. Um, so, you know, I had the bed sheets, the, you know, the bath towel and washcloth and, um, you know, actually on my birthday in October of 1977, we have pictures from that particular birthday and the first star Wars thing I think she ever bought me was the Miko galactic funk album. So I have a picture of me holding that up and on the table, there's a three pack of those Whitman star Wars, like Marvel comics, you know, that came in a three pack that had the pointy W on the packaging. I think that was, you know, one of the earliest things too. And, um, it's kind of funny. My sister, she's, she's sitting next to me at the table and we're holding up all my presents and she's holding up a bunch of Micronaut figures. Cause you know, as you know, the Kenner star Wars figures weren't available in October, 1977. So I guess my mom thought Micronauts, Micronauts were close enough to star Wars figures. But, um, point being, I mean, even back then, you know, I just was engrossed in this, in this story and this culture. And, uh, I, I just loved it. So, I guess, yeah, going back to once Jedi was over, I was like, man, I just got to get anything and everything I can. And as a collector, I, I tried to, you know, at that time. So Right, yeah. So I came to know you through the collecting side of things. And ever since I started this project, you've been such a go-to source for some of the most obscure movie-going ephemera. I'm wondering, how did you start getting interested in that? It'd be great if you could speak to that aspect of collecting a bit. Yeah, so... So as a kid, I can't say necessarily I was into ephemera, you know, I just was collecting anything and everything, whether it was newspaper clippings of, you know, the, the movie ads you'd get in your newspaper and other things like that. I, I would say I, I really started focusing, well, f- first of all, let me say thank you for, you know, your Facebook page, your website for Star Wars at the Movies. It's a valuable resource. It's awesome. I love that you have a passion for it. And I love that we have a, a forum to discuss it. So thank you for that. Um, but I would say in the mid nineties, like a lot of people my age, again, I'm almost 50 years old, you know, when Star Wars started resurfacing again with some novels and things like that, you know, our interest, my age group's interest started getting back into it. And of course, when the special editions came out in 97, I went to see those. And I would say my, my kind of, you know, interest in ephemera started then because I started attending special screenings and things like that. And of course, my instinct is to collect anything and everything. So I was collecting a lot of screening tickets and invites and stuff from the special edition screenings. Um, it was around that time the the Magic and Myth exhibit at the Smithsonian was taking place. And uh, I was, you know, since I'm lived right near Washington, D.C., I went and visited that several times. And I actually snuck into their volunteer like party and and I got some you know cool stuff from that event that that was all like paper items and and you know tickets and again invites and other ephemera stuff so I think it was at that time that I really was like man I want to collect this type of stuff the type of things that are like documents that that you know or you know that that document the history of Star Wars the history of these events you know Anyone and anyone can go to a store and buy something. You know, I want the stuff that wasn't meant to be collected, that was meant to be thrown away. Um, you know, so those kind of things always interested me. And to this day, you know, I'm you know constantly looking for screening tickets and you know, screening invites and casting crew items and and anything like that. So yeah, I would say probably it was probably the mid '90s or so when I started getting into the ephemera side of things. 
That's awesome. So yeah, speaking of the 90s, I'd like to touch on your experiences with the special editions. I usually don't get into that era too much in the podcast, but you'd seen them at a a pretty significant theater in Washington, D.C. It was the Uptown, right? Yeah, it was the Uptown Theater um, on Connecticut Avenue. So as a kid, going to the Uptown was not a thing for me. Like I I either went to, again, the, the New Carrollton Mall you know, six theaters or the Academy Six at Beltway Plaza in Greenbelt, which again was only like a five, 10 minute drive. But when the um, special editions came around, I was watching, I was at my house at that time. Um, I forget where I was living, but I saw in the local news that people were lining up to go, you know, camping out overnight to see Star Wars which would have been, I guess, January 31st, 1997. I think Star Wars Special Edition came out. And I was at my mom's house in the evening, and my sister Lisa was there. And I saw these people there, and it just triggered something in me. I was like, holy cow, people are camping out for Star Wars. And I was like, Lisa, you got to drive me down there. And at the time, you know, it's about a, again, as a crow flies, it's only like five, six, seven, eight miles, but it's like a 40 minute drive to actually get there. So it was like 11 o'clock at night. My wife, Sandy, I told her, I'm like, I'm going down to DC. I'm taking a sleeping bag and I'm camping out to see Star Wars. And she just, you know, laughed, shook her head, rolled her eyes. She's a good sport. She loves it. But, you know, she was like, go do what you got to do. So my sister, Lisa, drove me down and the Uptown is one of those historic theaters that's like a single box office that sits on the street, you know, and then you walk into the theater off the sidewalk and it's this classic like Art Deco building. It's beautiful. Um, they have this huge, you know, neon sign that says Uptown. It's just really cool. And they have this big sidewalk that runs down the street and they got stores and restaurants all along it, you know. I mean, it's basically, you know, not literally downtown D.C., but, you know, it's in D.C. It's right by the National Zoo. Um, but anyway, so I get there and there's like, you know, hundreds of people at night. It's almost mid- and it's January in D.C. All right. So I don't you know, it's cold. We're not in Florida or anything. It's like, you know, it could have been anywhere. I don't know, between you know 25 and 35 degrees. But I bundled up, got my sleeping bag. And I just said I knew no one there. And I was the, all, all by myself after my sister dropped me off. And I was like, just come get me tomorrow, you know. So, yeah, so I went down there, camped out. We saw the first show in the morning, and that just kind of got me, like, full-fledged back into just wanting to be involved in all things Star Wars and, and collecting and things like that and, and just, you know, being part of the event. You know, not just, not just watching the movies at home on your couch and saying, you know, I, I wanted to be part of it. You know, I wanted to be there when the crowd saw it again for the first time, you know, and the Uptown has one of these screens. It's, it's like a thousand seat theater. It's a one theater, you know, venue. And they got one of those like wraparound screens that, you know, it's like, I think 120 degrees. I could be wrong with that, but, but it's, it's a, it's a very massive experience. And, um, it was just an awesome time. So that kind of, you know, got me back interested in, in the Uptown or got me interested in the Uptown theater. And then of course I went and saw Empire there and these are back in the days, remember, where you can't buy tickets online. You know, you had to literally go to the box office and get them. Or if you could get them online, it was very, very, very sketchy. Um, so the best place to go was, you know, at the box office. And then for the uh, Return of the Jedi special edition, that was a fun time. So I caught wind that Congress 
was having a special of special screening, you know, like a premiere for their for congressmen and, and their staff. And I was like, oh, I got to get to this event because I knew they were going to have special tickets, you know, special invites and special ephemera. Right. And so I went down there and it was like during the day before the day before uh, Jedi premiered, you know, the special edition. And so I went down there and I put on a suit and tie and I just started walking around like I was meant to be there. Right. Because, of course, I didn't have a ticket to get in the event. <laughs> um, so I just started walking around. And like pretending like I'm waiting for someone outside on the sidewalk, you know, because you have people there at the door taking tickets and stuff. And I was just waiting for that one moment where someone turned around, you know, and I just walked in and just, again, pretended like I was supposed to be there. And then no one really asked you any questions because once I was in the building, I knew I was in. So I snuck into that event and it was it was really cool. I, I remember this congresswoman got up and started giving this speech before the movie and she started off going. Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far, or something like that. And she totally botched, like, you know, a long time ago. And I just started cracking up. And again, that's just another thing that I'll never forget. But then it was cool. And then the movie started, and they had these sweet tickets that were special to that event and these envelopes, you know, that would say, these tickets are being held for, I think I have an envelope that says, like, the Honorable Elijah Cummings, you know? And they had parking passes and all this other stuff that were all printed special just for that one screening. So that's actually some of my favorite things in my collection, just because it was an event I experienced myself. um, And uh, I got to and I'm not, I'm not shy. I'm not, I have no shame. I'll go through trash cans and stuff at the event or, or look on the floor for stuff that people leave behind. Cause I love getting extras of stuff to trade with people. So yeah, I got a lot of stuff from that event. So yeah, that's kind of how I really got involved at the Uptown. That's <laughs> uh, a, it's a classic story. Um, so flashing forward a bit more, I'd love to hear how you got involved with the Uptown camp out for episode one. Yeah. So there was a website. I think it was called countingdown.com and they were the ones that originally were putting together the the big camp out at the Chinese theater in LA and they were organizing that and it was this guy Lincoln from Australia who was kind of like the big admin that was organizing you know the camp out for LA and they had these forum boards you know Again, this was what, 1999. Um, So, you know, these forum boards were big and that's where everyone communicated. And they had these sub boards for different cities where folks from this website were kind of organizing and giving helpful hints and tips on how to organize your camp out for these other cities. And I just never saw one for Washington, D.C. So I, I contacted the admins for this, for, you know, the forums. And I was like, hey, is anyone doing anything for Washington, D.C.? And they said, as of right now, no. Do you want to? And I'm like, sure, I'll do it. You know, I already kind of had some experience, you know, camping out for the special editions a couple of years prior, um, not organizing anything, but I kind of knew the landscape. I knew kind of the, the pitfalls of camping out at this particular theater. It's in a residential area that also had storefronts all along the place where people stood in line. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll organize that. So they said, great. So they gave us a, a, a separate forum for DC. And I just started posting things there and asking people, hey, who's interested? Here's the plan. And so that's how I kind of got involved in it. And then, um, you know, as, as people started coming on board, you know, I, I, I got to know the theater manager pretty well. And he was giving me helpful hints and tips on what to do. 
And so he and I were, you know, um, did a lot of planning to, you know, get these little barricades set up so the people in line wouldn't interfere with traffic for the stores around the area. And uh, the neighbors put up a huge fit for the special edition campouts. Um, so, so the neighbors always expected long lines at the Uptown for every movie, every weekend. You know, it's just kind of because it's an outdoor box office. But they weren't expecting folks to, like, camp out for days. And that was kind of happening for the special editions where they were spending, you know, staying there overnight, perhaps two nights. And we knew for episode one, there was going to be people there three, four, five, six days in advance for ticket sales. And so we, we tried to plan ahead for that. I actually had to go to a, a city council meeting and kind of plead our case because um, some neighbors were like, you know, you, these Star Wars fans, we're going to call the cops on you and kick you off. And so we were working, literally working with the local police and the city council. And I kind of had to give a little presentation and say, you know, please don't kick us out if there's issues, you know, let's just work together and, and figure it out first. And so I kind of became, you know, like a point person for that. And um, so, yeah, that was fun. And then the cool thing is like a week ahead of time. So the theater manager calls me and says, hey, there's already someone here camping out. And it's like literally like a week ahead before tickets go on sale. We're not even talking about for the opening of the movie. And I was like, wow. So I, I drive down there and it's this guy, uh, Vance who I've now become, you know, friends with. And he quit his job at Target to camp out for episode one just to get tickets. He he wanted to be first in line and, you know, just have that distinction. So it was totally cool. And um, it's funny, Tony Kornheiser, who at the time was a uh, Washington Post writer, he started making fun of Vance. And um, he came down and interviewed him. You know, he, I think... The, the sequence is he, he kind of wrote a story about how people are camping out and just, you know, loser was first in line and lost his job. And then he came down and interviewed Vance. And then like a couple of days later, and, you know, he thought Vance was a cool guy. And he, he later almost wrote like a retraction article saying, wow, you know, I totally misjudged this. And you know, Vance is cool. And these people that are camping out for Star Wars, you know, whether the movie is good or bad, you know, I kind of get it a little more. Because that, that part always irked me is people who especially sports people who like say, oh, Star Wars fans get a life or sci-fi fans get a life or Marvel fans get a life. You know, you know, why are you dressing up like this? But then you have sports fans everywhere dressing up in their team colors and being totally into sports. You know, just because we're into something that you're not doesn't mean we have to get a life. And But you can be a rabid fan for a sports team. Again, I'm a huge sports fan, too. I get both sides of it. But so I just thought it was cool that Tony Kornheiser actually wrote a retraction article after he actually met Vance and said, wow, this guy is actually, you know, a normal person who just happens to love Star Wars. At the time, I had no idea I, I knew him. But as our friendship grew, it turned out that he and I both shared a love for sports cards and, and other stuff. And in the New Carrollton Mall, where I saw most of my movies as a little kid, there was a sports card and used bookstore right across the box office from the mall, inside the mall. And I would go there all the time to buy cards and to buy used books and to buy magazines and stuff. And it turned out that he worked at that store the same time that I was buying all my stuff. So fast forward, you know, 20 years later, whatever, we're at the Uptown episode one. And the guy who's first in line at the camp out that I'm help organizing is this guy that worked at the New Carrollton Mall right across the theater where I saw all my stuff and where I'd buy a ton of you know, cards and stuff. I just when we figured that connection out, we were both just cracking up. So I just always thought that was a kind of a cool coincidence. Oh, man, that's that's just great. 
Uh, it's funny how Star Wars brings people back into each other's orbit like that. And with the the lining up for tickets and the movie itself, how did that all play out? Did you guys run into any trouble? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we had to move the line once just because it was too close to the storefronts and people were complaining. Um, you know, you had people cutting in line and things like that. Just the common thing at, at any. But it all worked out fine. To get the tickets, that was the crazy part because they were also selling tickets online. I forget which outfit. I don't know if Fandango was around then or not. But of course, the online system seized up almost instantly. And people, you know, I, I still have emails and and stuff from people who are saying they can't, you know, buy any tickets. Can you get me some since you're down there and stuff like that? So the good thing is most of the people that lined up on the street got tickets at the box office for that, you know, the first day. And, uh, and then, um, so that, yeah, that worked out fine. And actually, I, I think you might know, but there was a, a documentary that kind of filmed, uh, the, the camp out for episode one. It actually, it's a documentary called waiting for Jar Jar. And it was uh, made by Meredith Bragg, who is a filmmaker, artist, musician, um, everything. He's a very talented person. And at the time though, you know, he was younger. Uh, he's probably about my age and he wanted to document three people preparing to go see episode one. And so I was one of the people that he kind of interviewed and followed around for the couple weeks prior to episode one. Uh, and it actually, we submitted it to the, uh, Lucasfilm fan film awards and it won for best documentary in at 2002 at celebration two in Indiana. So it's, it's like a 27 minute long movie, you know, and it, it, it kind of documents, you know, just us, the camp out. And then uh, this, uh, two other folks that were one saw it. I think they saw it at the uptown with us and the other person saw it, um, at one of the press screenings prior, he got his mom treated him to a, uh, he somehow got tickets to the press screening, but anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's such a great time capsule of the craziness of that moment and the lengths that people were going to, to see that movie and, and just the overall hype. It's just nuts. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, you know, you walk out of it and I, I'm not one of the guys that hates the prequels by any, but I, it was just kind of, I don't know if I was just super tired after you know, a week of camping out once you actually finally saw it, but it was a little bit, you know, kind of like a letdown, but I think it was just diffusing all my emotions from waiting for so much, you know, nothing would ever, you know, meet your expectations. I remember we had a, the like TV entertainment reporter from Fox news, DC, his name was Al Feinberg. And he actually camped out with us for a few nights. Once we actually had tickets, we then, we left the camp out and then came back because I think they sold tickets like, I don't know, maybe it was a week ahead of time or two weeks ahead of time. And then we came back to camp out for to get seats because, again, back then you didn't reserve your seat online. You just reserved your ticket, but everyone wanted to get good seats. So the line started again like three or four or five days ahead of the actual premiere date. And that's when the Fox 5 TV guy came. And then that's when the, the camp out just went crazy. I mean, because TV cameras are down there all the time. All the store, local stores were giving us all these free things, you know, just to get on TV and get sponsors, basically sponsorships and everything. It was kind of funny. So that was also another a cool memory. But 
if I'm being honest, the, the biggest memory from those days is just the friendships I've made and the, the people I've met that to this day I still talk to all the time, you know, and that I'm Facebook friends with and we still go back and forth. Every time a new movie comes out, we're like, hey, we're going to try to see it together. So, you know, th- those are just some of the, the biggest memories is just the people you meet during these events and and the, those relationships that you kind of nurture throughout the years. Yeah, it's a nice sentiment that sets up the broader question I typically tie things up with, specifically thinking back on those early days. And that is, how has Star Wars maintained an influence on your life? And what part did those initial movie-going experiences play in that? I would say um, the way it's maintained an influence on my life is that, I mean, to this day, I, I'm still, you know, I, I'm still very kind of emotionally connected to those those times when i saw it as a kid um i'm not the world's biggest star wars guru with like stats and quoting lines and knowing trivia it's really more about the feeling i get when i watch the movies now and and again the memories i had as a kid and you know i have two sons that are in college and you know one you know just growing up and watching them experience star wars with me was fun um of course they connect more with like the Clone Wars cartoon um, and the prequel trilogy. And because that's what, you know, they loved when they were a kid or that's what they watched when they were a kid. And so I think it's kind of cool that they kind of like Star Wars differently than I do. But those are the things and, and, and you know, that, that, that still connects me to my childhood days. And of course, you know, as I mentioned a couple of times, I'm a Star Wars collector and I'm very heavily involved in that that uh hobby and those and i've made just so many friends because of that you know like one of my best friends in life is andy loney i met him you know at a vintage toy show when in the mid 90s you know when things were getting ramped up again and he was probably one of the first people i met that was like a star wars collector and to this day you know he and i chat all the time and you know his you know family and my family are very close um so that's how it's maintained an influence on my life. And then recently with all the, you know, like Solo coming out and Rogue One and the, and the sequel trilogy, you know, it's still in me. It's still a passion of mine to kind of organize some sort of like opening night event. So, uh, you know, now it's just going to the local theater in Annapolis, Maryland and buying up, you know, like 50 tickets and inviting a group of people, you know, all my friends to have a big kind of communal event to see the premieres, you know. So it's just in my blood. And also, you know, again, because I'm a DC guy, I, I really have a focus now in collecting DC items, you know, that are related to Star Wars, whether it's a screening ticket or, or the swag from the screening events or, you know, again, things that, that can kind of document the history of how Star Wars has been involved with the Washington, D.C. community. Um, you know, just recently I picked up, uh, some flyers that came from the Beltway Plaza Academy six theater that were given out for the six month anniversary of the original release of star Wars and the one year anniversary. They had these parties at the theater and I never knew these things existed until a few years ago when I saw a picture on Facebook. And as soon as I saw them, I'm like, I need to somehow get these. And then they, uh, came up for sale recently and I just snagged them. So it's things like that that get me excited. Um, you know, any of the, 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 you know, there was a, the Empire Strikes Back had their charity world premiere actually in Washington, D.C. And I have a bunch of items, you know, the, the original back in, you know, not the special edition, but the original Empire Strikes Back. And so, and that's where Kenner actually had a, uh, 
sweepstakes where someone could win a trip to DC to go to the premiere. And so I like collecting those kind of items. You know, it, it, it's just the memories I have, like I, I, as a kid, I had my give a show projector and I would just go out in the hallway outside my bedroom and I would just, you know, the Kenner give a show projector was had basically film strips that you would go in and relive the mo- movie. And I still have those feelings today, you know, like I want to do that and, and, and collect these things because I remember those times as a kid. So that's what's exciting for me. And that's how, you know, really just, again, the relationships and the friendships, you know, I'm talking to you now because of this, you know, and, you know, it's just those kind of things that get me excited. Just cannot in the middle of the night have people screaming. We can't have people uh, playing loud music. And we just can't have people running around like the maniacs. If it's not controlled, they said they will, I mean, let it go, they'll kick us out just like that. Huge thanks again to Eric for coming on the podcast and sharing so many great movie-going memories. I'd highly recommend checking him out in Meredith Bragg's documentary about episode one at the Uptown. I'd included it in the Phantom Menace retrospective podcast from a couple years back for the 20th anniversary, but it'll be in the show notes for this episode too. And speaking of show notes, you can find those and a set of related images in the episode post on the website, starwarsatthemovies.com. All the other regular activity for the project can be found on the Facebook page and group, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, remember, relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun.